Come on, can we just bless our mothers in the house today? I got my mama here today. I'm a, thank you for having me and stuff. Man, I was really sorry about that. I, there was just something, there's something about a mom. I, I just, um, no, matter, no matter what story you conjure up on the way home between, you know, whatever happened that day and, and whatever you're having to confess that evening, it, it's like mom already knew, always. There was no like, there was no storytelling around it, and, uh, and that made me really good at telling stories because she could see right through all of them, so I just kept practicing. But uh, yeah, so she shaped me, and I'm thankful for her, but hey, listen, I want you to understand, and this is kind of the direction of the conversation today, that before we were ever men or women, before we were ever mothers and fathers, we were sons and we were daughters. We are children of God. Um, we want to take the opportunity today to discuss the impact of, of women in ministry. And, but I want you to understand, and guys, before you check out today, okay, I don't, I don't want to just dismiss you because we are in this thing together or we're not in this thing at all. And I'm not just talking about like married couples. I'm talking about becoming part of the family of God, the bride of Christ, sons and daughters in this thing to accomplish God's will together. So we're discussing the impact of women in ministry. But when I say ministry, I'm not just talking about pastor's wives, okay? I'm talking about the ministry that God has called and equipped you to accomplish. You understand that Jesus has given some the gift to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher for the equipping of the sons and daughters of God to do the ministry. That's who we are, and that is what we've been equipped for. I want to kind of set the stage, um, the backdrop, if you will. I'm going to take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, Verse 22, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to essentially tell you what happens here. God created, in, in, in Genesis 1, He created everything that was. Um, and then in Genesis 2, we see like a detailed description of what happened in Genesis 1. And at the end of Genesis 2, He looked at the man and He said, It is not good, Michael, for you to be alone. It it is, there's something missing from, from creation. There's something missing from completion. And so the Bible says that he took the rib of the man and he fashioned. Now that word in the original Hebrew, it, it means like to build or um, to structure. So he took the rib and fashioned that into a woman. The Bible says that, he, that God created, formed Man and all of creation, like, like, like a block, like, you know, like that's he formed the man. That's why we're, our stature is just the, predominantly the way that it is. We were just formed in the image and likeness of God. But then he took the bone and he fashioned the woman. And I'm thankful that, woo, he fashioned. He fashioned the woman. I could, I could preach on that, but I, I'm going to uh, restrain myself from, from doing so. That's and, why men have no fashion. Yeah, there he is. Unless they get help. Yeah, unless they live in Dallas. 
We just grow our beard out and cover ourselves without any fashion. Uh, this so. wasn't scripted, but we went to eat dinner last night, and every person in that room was looking at me like, he ain't from around here. Actually, they were looking at you like, oh, he's not from here, Sha. No, he don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, so God fashioned the woman, and, and here's what happened. Just like, just like us, um, when Adam saw the woman, he saw what he was looking for. And he said, he, he, he identified her, and this is what he said. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, he said, hey, I am so glad you're here. I, I would not have been able to do this without you. The impact and the influence that you have is, is likened unto the impact and the influence that, that I desire to have. We're in this thing together. You're not under me. I'm not over you. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We are bone of bone and flesh of flesh. But then something happened. See, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says that God created them male and female. And by the way, he still does that today. He doesn't have accidents. He still creates us male and he creates us female. Okay, And we're not having a, a gender crisis today. That's not what we're speaking to. But we are speaking to how God created us. And he says he created male and female. He blessed them. And anybody tell me what was... Don't answer out loud because you'll not be correct. What was the woman's name? And you want to say her name was Eve. But that's not what God called her. In Genesis chapter 5 verse 2, the Bible says, Male and female, he blessed them and called them Adam. He called them mankind. And then man and woman willingly, willfully fell to sin. And then in the midst of the curse, the man who had just proclaimed her identity, who had just spoken prophetically into her, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, then looked at the woman in the midst of the curse and called her Eve, which meant mother of all the living. At that point, Adam bound his woman to motherhood. And you see not that there's anything wrong with motherhood, but when you are limited by something that God never intended for you to find your identity in alone, then you are limiting God's work in your life and ultimately limiting, limiting the will of God in your life for you, okay? So he looked at her and he said, you're Eve, you're mother of all the living. And then for the rest of scripture, you look in the Old Testament and women no, no longer found their identity in companionship and completion in their relationship with God. They found their identity in whether they could or could not birth and rear children. And even into this day today, women still face postpartum depression. Because of the name that was spoken over them by Adam. To this day, women still face empty nest syndrome. Because of the name that Adam spoke over them. It is an identity crisis that God never intended for you. He did not intend for you to only 
find your substance in childbearing and childrearing. He wanted you to find your substance in child being. That's what his desire for you is. Not to be just a mother, not to be a wife, not to be anything but what he created you to be, which is a daughter of the most high God. Okay, so for the next few minutes, that was my piece. That's the backdrop. Okay, I'm going to pass this off. And I just want to give an opportunity, man, Pastor Michael and and his bride, Stephanie, gave an incredible testimony yesterday of the importance of identity. For all the women that were here yesterday, come on, could you just celebrate her and her story and how God took all of that and turned it into a ministry and a witness. So I want to pass it to her and I want you to just begin to share the importance, so we're talking about the importance of identity. Yeah, just like he was saying, and Michael told you guys, we're not able to have children. And for years, I struggled. There's this pressure that society puts on women from the second you get married. Well, when are y'all going to have kids? And what if you can't? And it's, it's hard to hear. And pressure from your family. And when are you going to give me grandbabies? And it's just, that's just not in our calling. And so I really had to, to deal with that with God. Like, I can't have kids. So does that make me worthless? And you know, I had to ask myself, who am I? And if I define myself by, you know, what I am or what I do, if I'm a mother or maybe it's my profession, am I a teacher or a nurse or an attorney, then I'm always going to try to have to do more or be more to find my value. And that's not what God wants for us. And if you're always trying to find the who am I and you base it on maybe things you've done right or things you've done wrong, maybe you feel unworthy or like you're a failure or you have you know, highs or lows, and you base yourself on what other people say or on the worth that you think you've gotten based on choices, then you're always going to try to please other people and not try to please your heavenly father. So how you identify yourself determines how you approach life. If I listen to who God says I am and embrace his identity in me, then I find the freedom to live out his calling in me. So I have to go to his word. John 1, 2 says he calls me his child. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, I am wise and restored. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me I'm a brand new creation. Ephesians 1.4 tells me I am chosen, holy, and blameless before God. Ephesians 2.10 tells me that I am his masterpiece. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says I am loved by God. And 2 Corinthians 12.9 says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus. So see, when I see myself the way God does... I'm a child of God. I'm wise and restored. I'm a new creation. I'm chosen. I'm holy and blameless. I'm his masterpiece. I'm loved. I'm made complete. Then I walk in confidence because I find my value not in what I do or what people say or the things I've earned, but in who he says I am. I'm a daughter of the one true king. And then I can walk in purpose and in my calling. Oh, man, that was a mic drop. You just need to drop the mic. (laughs) You know, uh... We, we also live in a culture where there's a lot of comparisons. Am I right? Uh, if you watch our media, if you watch uh, television shows, magazines, billboards, everywhere you look, there is a, uh, there, it seems like that there's, they're, they're burning in us a responsibility to try to, to measure up to everybody else. You know, drive this car and you'll be successful. You know, wear this jewelry, this perfume, this toothpaste, you'll have sex appeal. You know, all these different things. And I'm telling you, there ain't no toothpaste that's going to give you no sex appeal. Can I get an amen? But, 
You know, uh, in our culture, especially even in Dallas, you know, we live in, a lot of people say, what's Texas like? You know, they think, you know, it's not like that. It's really kind of L.A. with some spurs on. It's, uh, you know... uh, Eight-lane highways and sushi bars and gallerias and shopping and all these ladies, they feel like they have to look a certain way. Uh, They have to be a certain way. And there's this pressure, and I think there's constantly comparisons. Can I tell you, women, you're not going to get to heaven one day and God say, why weren't you more like so-and-so? Or why weren't you? He's going to say, why weren't you you? Why, why didn't you fulfill the calling and the destiny? Stephanie just said it, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created for good works. God made you a masterpiece. He made you one of a kind. There's only one you. When God created you, he said, I'll never do that again. So see, <laughs> you are special. But when I think back on uh, today, and my mom, I, I, I gave her a post today. Mom, thank you. I didn't thank her just for changing my diapers. I didn't thank her for just, uh, you know, me being here. I didn't thank her for just, you know, buying me a bike or helping me study. I said, Mom, thank you for everything that is in me that is pure and noble and of good report. My my mom put those things in me. I told the first service, my mom believed the first day of every week belonged to God. The first dime of every dollar belonged to God. Any otherwise would have been grand theft. (laughs) I thank God for a mom who taught me how to be a gentleman. How I many you know there's still a few out there? Thank God. Uh, and my mom taught me uh, how to treat people, how to respect authority. My mom taught me to pray. I woke up every morning listening to my mom pray. And let me tell you, my mom didn't pray in low decibels. It was like, God, touch Michael. That's the way she prayed every morning. My mom didn't pray, care if it was Saturday and I could sleep in. She was telling God stuff. So she prayed prayers of intercession. She prayed prayers of petition. She even prayed prayers of information. <laughs> she informed God things I didn't want God to know about. She'd inform God the grades that I was getting in school and the fights that I was having with my sister. She'd inform God the girls that I was dating. I was like, don't bother God with such trivia. She gave God classified information. But I'm thankful for a mom who burned into me how to be a man of God. Uh, my mom knew who she was. She knew uh, the authority that she had. She knew the mantle that was on her life. It wasn't just to have babies and cook meals. That she was a Proverbs woman. She was a woman of God. She had a destiny in our life. So I would challenge all of you women in here, don't compare your life to another life, your marriage to another marriage, your home to another, because you could get caught up in that. Well, that lady, lady, she went to baseball and t-ball and cheerleading and she made the perfect brownies for the PTA meeting and she did this and she did that and she and she always looks a million dollars and she's a beautiful wife to her husband I couldn't even get the laundry done today. Don't compare yourself. God made you to do an incredible, amazing thing but the awesome part of Ephesians is it's already there. He created you to do good works that he prepared in advance. God's got great things for all of you, sons and daughters and moms and fathers and it's already there just walk in your destiny. Yes, comparison will kill your contentment. When you are constantly comparing yourself, and what we do is we compare ourselves to people's highlight reel, what they put on Facebook. That ain't real life, you know? I mean, I may take a, a selfie, but I, that was maybe like three days ago when I decided to put makeup on, but really I look like a hot mess because, you know. And so, 24 tries. Right, no, exactly. Kidding. So don't compare yourself to people's highlight reel. And that leads us, when Chris was talking about, when he asked, he said, All right, we're going to talk about identity. And I immediately began to think about women in the Bible that had an identity crisis. And the first person that I thought about was Naomi. 
And I just thought about how heartbreaking it must have been for her when she left home with her husband and her two sons, and um, they had wives, and she was beginning to, you know, dream about grandchildren and how they, you know, just the life that was in front of them. But then when she came back home, she came empty-handed. She came without a husband, and she came without her two sons. And so she left home full and fulfilled, but then she came back home just heartbroken and ashamed. She was so constricted and afflicted by the pain that she had forgotten who she was. Her name was Naomi, meaning delightful, pleasant. She began to say, I don't want to be called Naomi anymore. I want you to call me Mara. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So like Naomi, we allow our emotions to dictate how we see God, how we see him working in our lives, how we see him, and how we see ourselves. We begin to allow our pain to cloud our minds and how we see him and even how what he's doing in our lives at the time. But yet, during her brokenness, when she was saying, God, why have you forsaken me? You have, why have I had experienced this, this kind of loss? Was I not in your will? Were we not supposed to leave? She began to make all these questions and doubts about God. And yet, in the midst of her heartache, God was using her in a powerful way. She was ministering to Ruth, which was a wife of one of her sons. And Ruth said to her, she said, I want your God to be my God. Through her faith, it was through her faith during the darkest time that was leading someone else to him. And so through her brokenness, God was bringing. So he does not waste our tears or allow our pain to be in vain. My difficulty, your difficulty does not have to define you, but God can use it to define someone else. The proverb says that God will take the tears that you sow and turn them into joy. Well, you don't understand that there's not anything that you go through that God can't bring you on the other side of. That what you were talking about, that your difficulty does not have to define you, but it could define somebody else. Pastor Sam Chan preaches an incredible message. It's easy to look up on, on YouTube. It's, he, he says this statement over and over again that, that where you are is not who you are because who you are is determined by Jesus. But when you lose your identity, how many of you understand? When you lose your identity, you lose your way. When your view of God gets messed up, then your vision for life gets messed up. Stephanie said that your identity, your self-identity will affect and determine your approach for life. You've got to know before you know anything else, you have got to know who you are in God's eyes. And when you know who you are in God's eyes, then it doesn't matter who you are in anybody else's eyes. It doesn't matter what your situation looks like through your eyes because you know who you are in the name of Jesus. But listen, let me catch this. And this is how we're going to bring this back around. Is that every time that you become ashamed... 
It replaces your name. See, the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit, the Bible says they realized that they were naked and ashamed. And so when you become ashamed, you forget the name that God... You were Adam, created in the image and likeness of God. You were the woman, the companion, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But now you're ashamed. Now you're forsaken. Now you're forgotten. But that's only in your eyes. Can I tell you that even in Genesis chapter 3, God set up a plan of redemption that came alive in Matthew chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 3, God said, listen, you're going to go through some things where the enemy may strike at your heel, but woman, don't you worry, because you're going to conceive one that doesn't just strike back, but he crushes the head of the one that's trying to take you down, the one that's trying to claim you, rename you. I've got an identity for you that's bigger than your sister situation bigger than your problem in fact it's not going to define you I'm going to use it in you to define somebody else but you've got to overcome your shame I, I honestly I mean this with all my heart I don't know an individual with a more powerful testimony than what you shared yesterday in the things that you went through and I just, again, just want you to give just a synopsis just a snapshot so that they'll understand the depth like that we're not just preaching a really good message here. This lady has lived this thing out. How do you deal? What were some of those things that you had to deal with? And then how did you deal with that shame? Um, so just briefly, um, whatever with the ladies yesterday, but I grew up very in a religious home. Um, God to me was this bully in the sky that if I wasn't perfect and didn't act right and do right and follow all the rules, he was going to bop me on the head. And like, I just had to always be perfect for him. And so I, I went to a very religious school. At an early age, I was molested by the priest of the school for years. Um, my family left the church. There was no God in their eyes. And so I had these questions in my mind of, you know, why did this happen to me? And, and I just, I had a very skewed knowledge of who God was. And life went on, um, ended up getting raped when I was 16, Legionnaire's disease. Um, dated some really bad people, got involved in drugs and partying, physical abuse, domestic abuse, ended up getting married. My husband was um, a serial cheater, if you could say that, got women pregnant, abandoned me, took all, everything. I mean, I, it was, you know, and I had to get, to, I got to a point in my life where you get to like the low of the low, and I didn't have God in my life. I was scared of him. I thought he was this mean guy in the sky, and so I had to, you know, ask myself, like, you know, is there a God? And and the first time I ever prayed to God, not even knowing if I could pray to him, his presence came down in that room. And he was this loving, nurturing, peaceful, just the presence. It was so overwhelming. And I just fell in love with him. And I wanted to just know him so much more. When I met Jesus, I fell so in love. And I had to look then at what all I had been through and was, what was it for? You know, God says he doesn't waste anything in your life. He uses all things for good. So anything you've been through, anything you've walked through, anything you're going through, it's not a waste. Everything's either God sent or God used. And so I knew when I found him and fell in love with him and let him start to peel back layers and heal my heart, I had to ask him, like, what was it for? And I immediately just knew that I went through everything I went through because he was going to heal me and strengthen me from it that I was no longer gonna be the victim 
but I was going to be the victor. I was no longer going to be blamed. I was going to be blameless, and I was going to be on the other side of those things, and I was going to be able to offer hope and healing and restoration into other young girls and women that had been through anything I had ever been through. See, there's a, a point in your life when things have happened to you or you've done something, and the first thing that comes is guilt. And, and guilt is that thing that rises up when you've done something or something's been done to you. You go to God, you say, I'm sorry I did this. He forgives it, and he forgets it. But see, then's the part where shame comes in. And that's where the enemy reminds you of who you were or what was done to you or what you did. And shame starts to become these thoughts in your head reminding you, and you start to think the things, I'm not good, or I'm worthless, or I'm a failure, that's what the enemy does, and he gets you thinking it so much that you start to believe that that's who you are, and that's where your identity comes from. Bible says that shame becomes like a stronghold, and how do we tear down strongholds? Well, the Bible gives us clear instruction. You use the word of God against it. So when the enemy comes to you and tells you you're worthless, you say, no, no, I'm priceless. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. When he says, you know what, you're unwanted, you say, no shame, I'm chosen. Before we first heard of Christ, he got our hopes up and chose us. You got to fill yourself with so many of the promises in the word of God where he calls you, what he says you are, what your identity is in him so that the enemy comes and lies to you and throws shame at your face. You can step on him and kick him to the side and say, that's not who I am. and That's not my identity in Christ. It's kind of true versus truth. It was true that Stephanie was molested, but the truth was God wanted to make her whole. It was true that she's been in broken relationships, but the truth was that God had a ministry that would travel all over the world in mind for her. It was true that she was uh, battling depression and suicide attempts. It, that was true. But the truth was God had his thumbprint on her and was ready to do something amazing. The Bible says in Corinthians, we have these treasures that are in jars of clay. That just blows my mind. It says God puts extraordinary treasures in jars of clay. What are jars of clay? They're ordinary. They have flaws. They can crack. They, they, they can break. If you all had treasure, what would you do? You'd put it in a bank. You'd put it in a vault. You'd put it in a safety deposit box. But the Bible says that God takes very extremely exquisite treasure and puts them in very ordinary vessels. You know, that lets me know God likes to do incredible things through very ordinary people like you and I. And so you need to walk out of here today and say, you know what? God put treasure in me. And so he's got a destiny and a purpose for me. God's got far more in your future than you could ever even begin to understand. So know that, yeah, you've been through pain. Yeah, you've been through trials. Yes, you've been through tests. But you know what? We said in the first service, the thorn room is the way to the throne room. And so you can take that pain from your past, and you can make it the power for the present. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's through the hard times that will remind us where our identity lies. It's through those times that it's a reminder that it's, it's him who we need and nothing else that he's what's most important. When me and Chris first got married, I, I put these, these, these expectations on him where I wanted him to fulfill all of my needs, where I wanted him to fill the voids in my heart, where I wanted him to bring me happiness. And you know, I think that's why so many marriages fail because you're so focused, well, I'm not happy. 
Or are you allowing the right person to fulfill your needs and fulfill your heart? Because your heart does have a void in it, but it's a void that only God can fulfill. So when you realize that your identity lies in Him, then you know, and then you're confident, and then you don't, you're not relying on someone else to bring those needs. So the beauty of this whole piece is that when you allow Jesus to be who only He can be, then the other people in your life become who they're supposed to be. But the only way that that happens is if you do the possible and you let God do the impossible. When you put the pressure of the Holy Spirit on other people, they will never measure up. Comparison is unhealthy. It's unhealthy because it creates other things in you that are not supposed to be. That's why Paul says, do not compare yourself to other people. Do not compare yourself to other things. Because when you compare, you raise expectation in your life. And then those, when things or people don't meet those expectations that were never supposed to be to begin with, you become disappointed by things that you aren't even supposed to be fulfilled by. Jesus can fulfill those things. And when you let Jesus be the love of your life, then other people actually stand a chance. Come on. When you let Jesus fill the God side void, when you sense his presence and his presence is enough then everything else is just like icing on the cake you realize what you were created for who you were created by and then you begin to actually accomplish the things that he's already predestined inside of you that he's already invested inside of you you begin to actually write the pages of the book that he's already fashioned for you to read about and your life becomes an extension of the new testament gospel that still be written in heaven today lady woman son, father, husband, whatever you are, wherever you are in life, I'm telling you that you are a child of the Most High God. And in Him, you are a new creation. In Him, you are above and not beneath. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. God loved you so much that He gave His absolute best in His Son to die on the cross for you. I want to give you a take home because you got four preachers up here that can just... Girl, you can preach. I like to listen to you. Sometimes I have to. Like to. I have to like to. Listen, I want to I give one more. This is, this is the take home, okay? Because I know I, I'm, I, I love to listen to some really good things, but I like to write something down. Like I want to take something home. And I just want to go down the line here. Pastor Michael, give us, give us the take home from the message. My take home is the pain from your past can be your power for the present. Bible says he began a good work in you and he will be faithful to yeah. complete it. If you take home anything, know that whatever your past is, that can be the very thing that breathes hope, health, healing, and life into somebody else. He began a good work. God's not done with any of you yet. Yeah. Not only did he begin a good work in you, he created you to do good works. Yeah. And so everything in your life, whether God sin it, God will use it, whatever is in your life, that's your calling. My testimony, my life, my past, God allowed that to happen to me because he was going to heal me and allow me to step into lives of women and children all over the world to offer them hope that that's not where they have to stay. Yeah. Mine is your difficulty does not have to define you, but he can use it to define someone else. As a build-off, and a send-off. Whatever it is that you've carried up to this point, 
you do not have to walk out of here carrying it. The cross has already been carried for you. The price has already been paid. Jesus was not our example. He was our substitute. He lived the life that we're aspiring to so that all we have to do is follow him and we accomplish it just by keeping our eyes fixed and focused ahead. Your pain can position you for a platform that will bring somebody else purpose. Do not let your scene become your story. Do not let your situation become your soap opera. Leave it where it is, okay? The Word of God defines you. Where you are is not who you are. Because who you are was determined on the third day when the Son of God burst forth after He had already descended into the pit of hell, stolen back the keys of dominion, and was on a one-way trip back to the throne room to intercede on our behalf for the rest of existence. I'm telling you, you are defined as a child of God. And as a child of God, you are joint heirs to the promise of Abraham and joint heirs with Jesus Himself. Everything that He has access to, you have access to. This is the way. Walk in it. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes with us today. You know, I just believe that this message is not in vain. And I believe that in a room full of people, real people, that there's just some pain. I believe that in a room full of real people, there's maybe even some guilt and possibly some shame. And I'm telling you that God wants to take the pain, the guilt, and the shame, and He wants to put His name on it. And what you saw yourself as, even what you saw yourself dealing with, He wants you to walk out of here with a different identity. So right now, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and stirring in your heart, maybe you're going through something. You've been facing some pain that you're not really sure how to handle. And right now, you would just be willing to say, hey, pastor, I just need you to pray over me. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you come up and stand in front of everybody. We really just want to pray with you. But we want you to be honest with yourself so that we know who we're praying for. If you're dealing with some pain, and today you've heard a message of hope, and you would like to for God to take that pain and and use it for a greater purpose. Believe for Jesus to bring purpose to that pain. If we're talking to you, would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, thank you. Hands going up all over the room. People just being honest with the Holy Spirit and themselves. Let me ask you another question. If you've carried guilt and shame because of something that you've done or something that's been done to you and you just haven't been able to kick it, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's unforgiveness, Whatever it is, I can promise you that God does not want that to be your identity. He does not want that to be the thing that stands between Him and your relationship with Him. He wants to deal with that today. And if I'm talking to you right now, I just want you to lift your hand right now, right here in this place and say, I'm not going to walk out of here with shame. I'm not going to walk out of here with guilt. I'm going to let Jesus put His name back on me. I'm going to identify with Him and Him alone. Now, here's what I want you to do. Nobody looking around. I just attitude of prayer. If you raise your hand, even if you didn't, and you just want to receive and be a part of this prayer, I'm going to ask Pastor Michael to pray over you. 
and to break that shame off of you. I'm going to ask him to break that pain off of you and to bring purpose to it. And that you would walk out of here with an identity in Christ that you didn't walk in here with. But that it would influence you and affect you. Pastor, would you pray for us? Father God, we proclaim today that we know who we are. Father, we proclaim today that we are aware of our identity. And Father, we are the head and not the tail. Father, we are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would take any fear or any pain or any regrets or any uh, insecurity. Father, uh, those that have a lack of peace. Father, those that lack confidence. Father, and I pray that you would rise up in this place right now. Let your anointing fall and your glory rise up upon the hearts and the lives of everyone in here. We know who we are. Father, we're more than just mothers and fathers. We're sons and daughters. And Father, you're going to do a good work. You said you began it and you're going to be faithful to complete it. Father, I look forward to good reports in the future of the mighty things that you've done, not only in this church, but Father, in the lives of every man and woman in this building, the families, Father, the homes that are represented. And Lord, we're just going to pray that you would do uh, unspeakable things, amazing things, uh, phenomenal things. Father, in the hearts and the lives of your people, I pray that, Father, we would uh, be able to touch lives that no one else can touch. You're going to use the mighty women in this room, Father, as well as the men, to touch lives that no one else can touch. They're going to be able to step into the lives of people that no one else can step into. You made us as masterpieces. And, Father, the works and the ministry and the impact are in our future. We're going to walk into our destiny, Father. And we thank you for it in advance and look forward to good reports in the future of the mighty things that you've done in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, come somebody. On, stand make some all over this place with us. Come on, stand with us today. Can you bless the Lord if you believe in that prayer? Can you just celebrate all those that were honest enough to raise their hand? And we just speak. Listen, we take anxiety and we replace it with anointing right now. I'm telling you, we take persecution and we speak the presence and the peace of God that surpasses all the Oklahoma. I'm going to take guilt right now and I'm just going to place the gift of God from the Holy Spirit that comes down upon your life. One more thing. You leave your shame right there in that seat. We'll pray over it all week long because you are going to walk out of here with the name of Jesus, not just on your head, not just in your head, but in the depths of your soul. It is your identity. It's who you are. And when you understand who you are and what you were created for, then you can actually go out and accomplish it. Hey, listen, if you don't have plans tonight, okay, if you thought that was good, I'm going to get out of his way. We're going to give him the microphone and cut him loose tonight. And he's going to give us a shot of adrenaline so that we don't go through the dog days of summer like some churches. But we do the same thing this year that we did last year. I'm just going to prophesy. We're just going to continue to grow just like we're supposed to. Reaching more people, seeing more lives change, more people saved, more people baptized, more people filled with the Holy Spirit. More people empowered to accomplish the will of God in their lives because we were willing to do the ministry on their behalf.